Uh, okay, so we're uh, we're getting close to the end of this series. We're going to end it next week. Uh, today, at the, I'm going to kind of do half the class, and then I'm going to pass off to Miss Emily over here um, to um, finish us off today and talk about a few things. So we kind of set up this series of Raising Arrows through looking at three different uh, dimensions of parenting. The first is that we spend intentional time with our kids. This is devotional time. This is meal time, drive time, bedtime. These rhythms of life, we make sure we're intentional with those things. Uh, Second thing we talk about is the milestones of our kids' lives, that we leverage those milestones to point our kids towards Jesus, right? You know, a a birthday, a a baptism, going to middle school, all those things we help leverage those milestones to point our kids towards Christ. The final thing today is moments. And we're going to see how we can help capture uh, these God moments in the everyday of life. And so today our focus in capturing these moments will really be around helping discipline our kids and even helping teenagers deal with uh, frustration and failure is how do we take these, these things that seem bad um, and actually capture them for the good, for these great God moments. Because what I will say is whenever our kids mess up, whenever they fail, um, many times those are special moments. Moments that with our kids, we really have their attention. And then if we leverage those and capture those correctly, it can really help point our kids in a different direction. And that's really what discipline is. Discipline is really helping capture these God moments in the life of our kids. Because our kids are like us. They fail every single single day. And we have to help point them to Christ in the midst of these things. So the question, we have their attention, right? And we have when they mess up. The question is this. What are we doing when we have their attention? When, when your child uh, gets in trouble at school, when your teenager fails a test, when they're caught lying, uh, when, when a friend is mean to them, and, and there are kind of these low moments, the question we have to answer is, what are we doing in those moments? How are we going to leverage those moments in our child's life? So to help us think through this and what it looks like, I want to go to Ephesians 6. Um, and what Paul teaches us about the family and even about discipline. You know, many of Paul's writings and letters, and Ephesians especially, follow this path where he writes to this church and he starts off in Ephesians 1 with this big cosmic view of God and who he is and his eternal work. And he keeps, as the letter keeps going, he keeps getting more and more focused, more and more on the ground of how we actually live this out. And then he ends in, this, in Ephesians 6 with how the gospel affects our marriages, our parenting, and our discipline in the home. Ephesians 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Listen, we love this first part, right? Honor and obey. Honor and obey. Kids, honor and obey. 
So from a very young age, um, I tried teaching my kids. It's it's kind of uh, a bit of me just kind of tricking them of like, like well, hey, motions. we honor and we obey. And so if I mess up, kids, what do we do? We honor and we obey. I'm just trying to brainwash them to do whatever I tell them to do. But Paul lays out here a pretty basic principle that is rooted in the Old Testament, in the Ten Commandments. If our children honor and obey godly parents, good things tend to happen. This is true, isn't it? As you, even some of you in this room, you have uh, teenagers that you're sending off um, that are really good kids, that have learned this principle of honoring and obeying your godly leadership, and they're being sent off into the world in a healthy way, because this principle is generally true. But there's more in verse 4, and it's our focus today. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Uh, From this verse, we get three principles of discipline. First, your child is a sinner. Newsflash, your child is a sinner. Paul assumes this, right? In his exhortation, like, you don't train and discipline someone who doesn't need discipline, do you? There's an assumption that the child, the, the kids, will be sinners. And children need discipline and they need instruction because they are sinners. This is all throughout Scripture, right? Romans 3, for all have sinned and fallen short. There is no one that is righteous. We inherently see this in our kids. Did you teach your kids to hit and to scream? Did you do that? No. Did you teach your kids to lie? No, no. There is an inherent, and there's this thing where our kids, hear this, are a blessing made in the image of God. But also, they are born sinners. Both things are true. Your child was born a sinner. Listen, your child will sin before they are saved. Your child will sin after they're baptized and they're saved. Your children will sin tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. And I say that because sometimes we have this thing where we hold our kids to a higher expectation than they can meet. So parents breathe. You're a sinner. You're raising sinners. That's reality. And on some level, uh, there is this um, Christian counselor named Kurt Thompson. And someone asked him, how do you not screw up your kids? He said, don't have them. Every parent that has kids will in some way mess something up because you're also a sinner. So we can, I think, breathe a little bit with that, knowing that. Here's sometimes our goal, maybe it's just me, is for our kids to not sin so they don't embarrass us, right? And I know this because the way I treat my kids in public versus private, right? Like in, in public, all these kind of things, right? Because sometimes our discipline is rooted in our embarrassment. But if we all know, especially in our church, right? All of our kids are sinners, so we all can relax. You will not discipline the sin out of your kids. You're not going to spank it out of them. You're not going to time out it out of them. You're not going to take the devices away. It's, it's, it's not going to work. Your kids are going to mess up. They're going to sin. 
So that can't be our, our main goal. But we can do this. We can discipline and teach our kids to look to Jesus. We can discipline them and teach them to look to Jesus. And I will argue and say that sometimes our greatest teaching moment is in their failures. And I, I say it because that's true in my life. I am most teachable when I'm most caught in my sin, right? And we catch our kids in their sin all the time. And I regret this. I I have hundreds of regrets in my parenting, amen, right? Of me wasting those moments and furthering them in shame and away from Jesus because mostly I was embarrassed at how they acted. Because if we're honest, many times when we discipline or talk or yell does not point our kids to Jesus. Which is Paul's point here when he says, do not provoke. Do not provoke them to anger. What Paul's saying here is do not discourage your kids with unrealistic expectations. Which leads to our second principle. And they're really a question, what are you provoking? What are you provoking? Because you can provoke anger or you can provoke repentance. So as a parent, what are we provoking in our kids' lives? Provoking anger looks like this. There's a few things here. First, it's when we expect perfection. Part of this is focusing on the minors. Like, oh, your bed's not made. So yesterday, um, Tracy's out of town. And so I'm full dad mode. Like I'm full. And when I'm, when I'm in dad mode, I'm fully focused, which is bad for my kids. And because um, when Tracy's there, I, I like, you know, I'm a bad dad. And uh, I'm focused in and Connor made his bed, but he made it. He put he turned the comforter the wrong way. And I, I find myself like yelling at Connor because he made his bed the wrong way. What what is that? Right. Because that, That's not sinful. He was trying to ple- he was trying to obey. He made a mistake because he's seven years old. Wait, yeah, seven years old. <laughs> and, and instead of just teaching him the right way to do it, I was like fussing at him. And I found my soul. I was like, Jason, calm down. But t- we just nitpick our kids to death. Or at least I do. If y'all don't, great. I'm glad y'all don't do that. But I do that. Listen, discipline, it's essential in the home. But unnecessary rules and hyper-focus and maintenance on the details of your expectations of like your house or how they do things, that's not discipline. That's being um, a nitpick. And that will always provoke your child to anger because it provokes me to anger. If someone does, if my wife does that to me, how do I react? Not well. Oh, oh sweetie, the dish don't go that way. We had this conversation the other day. I, apparently, I load the dishwasher all wrong. I, I do it just, I'm terrible at it. And I'm like, okay, well, then you do it. That's fine. And uh, we'll just, that's our marriage now. And so, so we provoke anger by expecting perfection. Second, when we respond with anger. Too many times our kids mess, the, the, the folly of our parenting is that our kids lose control and throw a fit and hit or lie or whatever and we respond in the same way they are reacting. Does that make sense? Like they come with anger and we come with anger ourselves. It is not godly or necessary to demean your kids. That's not needed to demean your kids, to scream at our kids, and of course hit our kids in anger. Too many times we discipline, and it's just us being angry at our kids for their sin or for embarrassing us. This is the classic take a breath, right? 
respond and don't react. Here's a big negative consequence of this, uh, provoking anger in our kids. Yes, they keep sinning, but also they stop seeing us as parents as a safe place to go when they mess up. I am praying right now for my, when my boys are 16, 17 years old, and they look at things they should not look at. I am praying they learn to come to me and not hide from me. And I believe those seeds can be sown right now in how I respond to their sin. Because our kids are going to sin. And listen, what are we prone to do? We're prone to hide, aren't we? That's, that's the original sin, right? I mean, they sin and they hide. And so we, we, we tend to hide. And what we tend to teach our kids is the way you fight your sin is through, through hiding and shame instead of through confession and repentance. And it's all in how we provoke our kids to anger. We have to strive to be safe parents who do not provoke unnecessarily because your discipline and consequence is going to be enough of a line. Does that make sense? So we shouldn't add anger, unnecessary rules to that. Let God's word and God's direction be what offends and not our sin as well. Being a safe parent is all about reflecting the heart of God. The heart of God leads our kids to be humble and honest. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And part of our discipline is to teach our kids how to deal with their sin, where to go with their sin. Is it in hiding or is it confession and repentance? Finally, discipline and instruction. We see here in Ephesians uh, 6 that we're to raise our kids up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And as you study the meaning of this originally, the best way for us to uh, understand it is through this phrase, instructive training. This means there is instruction from words. Words are a part of our discipline, but discipline is to train. Training is this idea there is pain involved. That you're gonna, it's going to hurt as you were as you're helping form your kids in this way. It's almost like braces in that way. But hear this. Training includes pain, but training is not punitive. We think in terms of punishments, right, of making the kind of the scales equal. That's not our job. Jesus did that. Our training, yes, it's painful, but it's not punitive. So our last point, good discipline is instructive training. This means that discipline is primarily about talking to your kids and teenagers and giving or allowing consequences that help them see the pain of their sin. To help them see that they reap what they sow. That the way away from God is a way of pain. It's not abundant life. It's a, it's a halfway life. So here's how that looks. I'm going to do, I got four quick points and then I'm bringing Emily up. Steps to practice instructive training. First, identify the sin. Identify the sin. Ask this question. Is this a sin or is this an annoyance? Is this Connor making the bed the wrong way or is it Connor hitting his brother? Is it a sin or is it an annoyance? And, and then what I'd also say, as you identify the sin, get to the heart. Get to the sin underneath the sin, especially as they get older. It's the heart sin, it's the heart idol 
not just the inter- external actions. So many times my, my Connor, my middle son, he will act out because he's insecure, because he's, he wants his identity found in, in this or that. And part of our discipline ha- has to help him see that. Hard to do. So first, identify the sin. Second, invite the child to confess sin. Invite them to confess sin. Remind them their sin is ultimately against God. And the parent is simply God's representative to instruct and point them to him. Discipline. Invite them to confess sin. Third, determine and allow consequences to sin. Uh, The younger you have, the younger they are, you you have to give these out to yourself. Like you tell them, this is what's going to be. Know this, know that, time out. Uh, a quick word um, on spanking. Um, there's a few things that are, are non-negotiables. Uh, no anger. I, if you're going to spank your kids, do not spank in anger. That is abuse. Take a breath. Respond. Don't react. Second, talk before and after. Talk before and after. And then I'd ask this question. Is this what is best? Um... So, full disclosure, uh, we do not spank in our home anymore. Um, I don't think you're wrong if you do. Um, part of our reason, the biggest part, is we got Hattie home, and um, I could spank Hattie all day long, guys. I'm not going to change a thing. <laughs> I'm not spanking that out of her, whatever she wants to do. And so, um, it's hard to spank, not spank one kid and spank other kids. And so, we just kind of stopped spanking um, because it, it wasn't effective uh, for uh, my daughter. And for my boys at this point, uh, taking away uh, a Nintendo is much more effective than spanking is in my, in my life as well. And so you have to find what helps there be pain for them, right, as you train them up. Not punitive, not punitive, but this, I remember it's this idea when you train, um, when you lift weights, it hurts, right? You're a little sore because your body is changing, right? And so when we're, when we're being disciplined and we're training them, there should be some level of discomfort for them. They should not like the consequence of their sin. Now, for older kids and teenagers, you're not as much giving these as you're allowing these. And here's what this means. Uh, if your kid likes sports, but they get bad grades, they don't play sports, right? That's, that's a rule at school, right? Sometimes as parents, what we'll do, we'll go behind them and find a way to remove the consequence, the natural consequence of their sin. And, and I would encourage us as parents just to let the pain happen. Because if we remove the pain now, they're going to feel the pain when they're 25 years old, aren't they? Help them experience that pain while they're underneath our influence and our protection. And this means they will miss out on things. They won't go to a field trip. They can't do this. But as parents, we must allow the natural consequences of their sin and actions. Help them see the pain, the sting, and the stench of sin. Much better at 13 than 35, right? As best we can, help them experience and allow that pain then. Fourth, share and show the gospel. Act the tears, remind them the ultimate consequence was taken by Jesus. Say, I I know this is tough. I, I know that you're grounded for a week. I know you're upset about that. But remember, the, the greatest consequence was paid by Jesus. Help them look to Jesus to rest in his forgiveness 
his love and his grace. Sometimes this might mean you take away the consequence to give them an illustration of the gospel. Sometimes you let them off the hook on some level to teach them grace, right? Not all the time, but you know, once a year, you you just show grace and let them be free from the consequences of sin. Fourth point in this, and this might just be me, hug, 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 hug. Discipline should be our greatest time of connection. In the tears, in the frustration, connect with our kids. Remind them, even when they do their worst, you're there. Covenantal love. Okay, give yourself grace here. We've all blown it on some level here, right? Practice instructive training. I bring Emily up. She's going to close us out on some real practical steps on how we can do this. There we go. It's all yours. I don't have a cute, fun PowerPoint, but that's okay. Um, so in my uh, counseling practice, I work a lot with kids, families, and teens. So do some play therapy. Um, I'd say probably half of my caseload right now is kids and teens, so that's fun. Um, it really is fun. But, you know, you could read all the parenting books in the world. You know, no drama discipline. You could go get trained in trust-based relational intervention. You could read um, all these different books, and a lot of this comes from a myriad of different ones. But you're going to find the same three themes in almost all of them. So the things we want to focus on when thinking of discipline are connection and relationship, empathy, and consistency. So let's take a look at connection and relationship first. So how do we connect with our kids before, during, and after their expression of what we would consider difficult emotions, what some would say are negative, um, anger, anxiety, sadness, and their poor choices. So connection before they make these things, we want to do some fun things, right? Research shows that 30 minutes of uninterrupted playtime a week can help prevent or decrease negative behaviors in your home. Why? Connection and relationship. Making time to play with little ones or connecting with your older middle school or even high schoolers through their interests you know, you're not going to have a 30-minute playtime with a middle schooler. They're going to look at you and think this is real creepy and weird, right? Um, but what do they like to do? Do they like basketball? Do they like music? Do they like to ride in the car and sing? You find what they like, and you come in beside them, and you spend time doing that with them, even if that is not what you like to do. <laughs> um, you know, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had about Minecraft. I couldn't, you know, like... Okay, I don't play Minecraft, but that's how I connect with the kids that I see. Research also shows that 30 seconds of, like, blitz attention giving can be beneficial in connecting with your child and preventing ne negative behaviors they may show to receive attention. Because what happens when you're on the phone or when you're cooking dinner and your child comes in and is either really mad about something or just finds something very interesting and wants you to know about it? 
mom, 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 dad, 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 right? And a lot of times the response is, hey, can you see I'm on the phone, right? But research also shows that if you tell your friend on the phone, hey, give me 30 seconds. You put the phone down, you look at your child and you say, we got 30 seconds, what do you want to tell me? And then you let them tell you that they will not seek negative behaviors to get your attention. They will have gotten it and they can move on. Their needs are met, your needs are met, you can walk forward in a healthy way. So we know that connection builds relationships and relationship builds respect. And that's what we're aiming to do. So what do we do when our child is gearing up to make unwise and sinful choices or they've already made these choices? Let's talk about some connection techniques that can be incorporated as you prepare to discipline and use the information that Jason talked to you about earlier. The first one is playful engagement. When we think about discipline, our first reaction is like, oh, this is super serious, intense, and uncomfortable for everybody. But the cool part is it doesn't have to be that if these are little things. If your kid comes in and says something really disrespectful to you, you might respond with, whoa, where did that come from? Your face is very exaggerated. You might like hip bump them, you know, where did that come from? And that's their cue of going, oh man, I crossed the line. You're giving them a heads up. Your behavior is unacceptable. Try it again. And they're able to rewind that and do it while you're only having to playfully remind them that they crossed the line, right? The second thing we want to do, you know, they're going to continue to cross the line. A hip bump and a whoa buddy is not always going to solve the problem when your children are reacting to each other or to outside things. So if they're taking it a step further, what you want to do is get on their level. You want to kneel down. You want to sit down. You want to be at their eye level or a little bit below. And even if we think about this biblically, like what did Jesus do? He came down from a place of authority. He met us where we were, right, in our mess, the worst that we had ever been, and he connected. And that's our goal in coming down to get on their level. That offers us the opportunity not just to connect but to teach in a way that they are going to hear you. You know, standing over your child, you might not think is intimidating, but I can remember that was the worst part for me, you know. <laughs> um, it was always, you know, I didn't require a lot of discipline. You could look at me mean, and I was like, I'm sorry, but get on their level, right? The third thing we want to do is make a physical connection. Jason said hug, 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 and yes, 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 yes. Do all the hugging. Do all of, you might want to hold your child's hand when you're trying to connect with them and discipline. Move their hair out of their face and kind of touch their cheek. Rub their shoulder or their back. Because science tells us that physical touch releases dopamine, which is a neurotransmitter that makes us feel good and helps us regulate hard emotions. So if your child is up here, we do want to hug. We want to cuddle. Some kids are like, don't touch me when they're angry, and that's fine. But sit close enough to where they know they could have that connection if they want that. Connection physically also <laughs> helps us to feel seen and loved. Seen and loved. And that reinforces that relationship, right? 
Another way of feeling seen and loved and connected in discipline is eye contact. This is not the awkward, like, uninterrupted eye contact where you have to sit there and stare at me for 30 minutes while I talk to you about things. Um, The most you're probably going to get is an occasional glance in your direction, and we consider that a victory. But for times where you're trying to communicate a very important topic, maybe a communication of love or affirmation, extending of grace, or a very serious hey, we really need to talk about this thing, you might just ask a question. Hey, can you see my eyes? They're going to glance up at you and then go right back. Or, you know, some of the children I work with, they'll be like, they'll kind of side-eye you, you know, and then they'll come back. But that's a victory, and that's a connection. Okay, this is the hard one. Voice quality. So your tone of voice, your pitch, and your volume plays a huge role in maintaining connection. A lot of times when we raise our voice or they raise their voice, now everybody's got a wall up and everything's going right over the head, right? So how many of you have ever said, it's not what you said, but it was how you said it that bothered me? Because I have. Um, And kids, I will tell you, are the same way. They cannot tell you that that's what it was that made them feel that way because they're not great communicators because they're children, but the same thing goes for them. So our goal is to remain at an even calm level with our voice quality. We also know that people feed off of one another's moods. And so if your child is yelling, you're gonna wanna yell and then they're gonna wanna yell louder and then the scale continues to go up. But if you can say, I'm not gonna hop in that boat with you, my voice is gonna remain right here, they're not getting what they're seeking right now you might think am i just going to be like very sing-songy while i'm disciplining and telling some girl no that's not what i'm saying there is an intensity you can bring to your voice so you would get on their level you would physical touch can you see my eyes right i'm about to talk about choice making but this is what i would do if you choose to continue to do that you choose So there's a difference in my voice, right? You can see it in my eyes. You can hear the intensity in my voice, but I am not yelling, and I am not speaking in a criticizing or condescending tone. Next thing we want to do is offer choices. Only two choices. More than two choices is too many. (laughs) So both choices have to be acceptable for you. So this is not one choice and one consequence. Like you do this or you go to your room. Those aren't two choices, right? That's a choice and a consequence. So if your child doesn't want to walk across the street, you would say, you can choose to hold my hand or you can choose to hold my shirt or my belt loop. Both options are acceptable. Neither one is a consequence. Now we know that um, a lot of times they're just going to say no. (laughs) And that can happen. You know, they're testing limits, which is developmentally appropriate. Um, but at that point, it's crossing into sinful territory, right? And that's when you initiate a consequence and use choice language. If your child continues to throw crayons across the room, you would say, if you choose to continue to throw your crayons, you choose to lose them for the rest of the day. If you choose to come home after curfew, you choose to lose your driving privileges for the next three days, whatever it might be, you know? 
But again, that's helping to return the responsibility and the weight of their choices back to them. So the most natural the consequence, the more effective discipline will be. The last one is use a redo. Um, this is super fun for kids who are four to seven because they're in this very imaginative play developmental world. So you might even have a, a fake remote where you're like, whoa, let's redo that and everybody rewinds. And then you role play and you be the child and you let them be the parent and you model their behavior back to them. Because if they see you acting the way that they just acted, one, it's kind of like, ooh, I looked like that. And two, it's kind of funny and they're going to be laughing. So again, you're bringing back in playful engagement, right? And then you reverse it. You model for them how you would like them to respond. And that's a great teaching tool. Now for kids 8 to 12 and then into the teen world, they are not going to redo <laughs> in that way. So this is, you are not going to fake remote them, right? So um, that's more of where a conversation is going to come into play. Now I do want to tell you that these techniques are great at the part to where they're right before being very escalated or it's after escalation of like hitting, yelling, screaming, throwing, any of those things. Because when they're already at level 10, they are not going to hear a word you are saying. And so, yes, we want to try to connect with them, physical touch, hug, rock, rub their backs. Yes, try to connect. But in this moment, this is not a time to teach or to discipline. Because what we know is that they've done something called switching their lid. I don't know if any of you have ever heard that, but Dan Siegel, um, who I think is on the resource list, it's a great book, but he talks about the hand model of the brain. So if all of our like primal, somebody calls it lizard brain feelings, but if your feelings are all living here, this is your limbic system that kind of is in charge of fight, flight, freeze, and then your cortex is, goes over that. So that's your logical thinking. But when things happen that make our emotions spike, your logical thinking goes out the door, your fight, flight, freeze reflex is activated, and you are living in this crazy emotion world. You are not hearing or learning or thinking. So they might need to sit in their room for a minute until they're back online, so to say, <laughs> until their cortex has come back for them. Um, you might need to sit by them until they are back to where they need to be. Um, we also want to really monitor where our lid is. If your lid is flipped and you are not thinking logically, my friends, that is the time to tap out with your spouse, they tag in, or everybody just walks away for a minute until you're all thinking cool, calm, collected, and logically. Um, let's talk about principle number two, which is empathy. I love that Jason mentioned that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance because all too often the same is true for children. We absolutely want to use empathy and kindness when we're in the teaching part of discipline. We want to be quick to listen to our child's heart because they probably have some thoughts in their own heart and mind that they would like to share with you. And the more that you can listen, the more that you are connecting and the better you're able to empathize with what your child is truly feeling and thinking. You know, when they are wrestling with the consequences of sin, when it hurts 
and when they are in the middle of repentance, every single one of us knows what that feels like. They're just demonstrating that on a child level. But that helps us go, I understand exactly what they are feeling. That builds empathy in us. Um, We know connection and empathy pave the way for successful problem solving, which is the goal. We want to teach our kids how to successfully solve the problems that they're facing so that they can make wise decisions, so that they can display the heart of God. So open that communication by asking questions and helping them, bringing them in on problem solving. What do you think we should do about this? Now, again, that's for older kids, like Jason said. So it might probably start around age eight is when they're able to think a little bit more logically. Bring them in and help them take ownership over what they think the consequence should be. We do want to remember, this is just a fun tidbit, um, that asking why questions is automatically going to put the other person on defense. You say, why did you do that? What do you mean why I did that? You know, (laughs) so it's already putting up a wall. So if we can reframe and rephrase our questions into what questions, you're probably going to have a better response from your children and your teens. What made your anger get so big? What choice did you make when you chose to let anger rule over you? What can we do to seek forgiveness and reconciliation with your brother, with your sister, with your mom, with me, right? You're asking the same things. You're just asking it in a way that's a little bit more gentle and opens the door to express and convey empathy. Uh, For children four to eight, they're going to have more difficulty answering those questions because they're just not there developmentally. But what you can do is use their language, which is play. Y'all, don't be afraid to get out stuffed animals, Barbies, if they're into cars or dinosaurs, and have them be the other one, right? Oh, what made your anger feel so big? Well, my anger got really big because, right? And they're going to be laughing and engaging, and their mind is going to be open to absorbing that information. We want to meet them where they are. For kids nine and up, they'll be able to answer those questions. They just might not want to. (laughs) Um, The last, you know, principle we're talking about is consistency. Um, Children treat parents and limits like the jackpot machine at Chuck E. Cheese. Okay, and so if they are putting those coins in, eventually they hit the jackpot more than likely, right? And so the more that you choose to give in, the more times they are going to test your limit later. You know, if a child wins a jackpot once at the Chuck E. Cheese, they're like, I'm spending all my tokens here. So if you give in, just know that your power struggle will increase tenfold. So we want to remain consistent in whatever ways you choose to incorporate discipline. And as we kind of wind down for today, you know, we're talking about walking through hard seasons with teens, and I will tell you that every teenager is different. (laughs) So it's harder to have step one, two, three, four with a teenager like it is to have with younger children. But I will tell you that the same principles apply. Connection, empathy, consistency. Um, Kids or teens at this point with connection, they're striving for independence, and so it's natural that they are wanting to push away from you. That's developmentally appropriate, but I will say that this is when we just have to be creative 
if their door is always closed and they are spending all of their time in there, set it to where 15 minutes, I'm coming in. I'm sitting on your bed. I'm sitting on your floor. And even if you choose not to talk to me, I'm going to be there. Um, bust the door down. That's okay. Because they also want to know that you are present and that you care. And so although they are holding you at an arm's length, really, it makes a difference. It's going to be uncozy for both of you because she might be like, what do we do at this point? And that's okay. This will become a new normal for me. Other great moments of connection with teens, dinner time. There's tons of research about how sitting around a dinner table deepens connection with your family. Make dinner time family time. No phones at the table. They all go in a cabinet, right? This is time for our family. Have fun. Family game night. Family movie night. Make your own pizza night. Whatever it is that your family unites around, do that together. Because unless you're having fun and building connections with your teens and connecting in that way, it will be very difficult to connect with your teen when they are walking through a hard season. We want to make sure we have a good balance of both. Empathy. Realize that mistakes happen, and this is how our teens are going to learn natural consequences while they're still under your roof. And one of the hardest parts of letting your teen make mistakes is not rescuing them from their mistakes. But I will tell you it is absolutely worth it. Um, we definitely want to use what questions instead of why with your teenagers because, you know, you've already got so many emotions swirling. They already are going to be very sensitive, which is, again, developmentally appropriate. But the more that we can do to convey empathy and prevent them feeling like we're criticizing them, the more that they are going to feel comfortable talking to you about hard things. And consistency. Your teenagers are facing new situations and choices every day. And sometimes with these parenting techniques we've talked about, it's hard to remain consistent because they are becoming adults. So we're not going to do redos with them. You know, we're not going to do all these things we talked about. But the thing you do want to remain consistent in is your presence and is standing by them in difficult seasons. Um, just being present, even if you don't know what to say, and even if you don't know what to do in the moment, is enough. It's enough. Um, you also want to remain consistent in pointing them back to scripture. If they're facing choices that you're unsure about and kind of seem in the gray, and they're really wanting to do, and you're like, oh, I don't know how I feel about that, tell them, let's take a week. You go research scripture. I'm going to go research scripture. We're both going to pray about it. And in a week's time, we're coming back and we're going to talk about what God revealed to you and what he revealed to me. And we will collaboratively make a decision about what we feel like God says is best for your heart, your mind, your soul, your body, and your strength. Bring them in. Teach them how to, how to consult the Lord. So like I said, every relationship with your child and teen is different. And there's not a one-size-fits-all approach to your child. So just take these research-based techniques and fit them to your family system. Um, just like God creates us uniquely and intently, your relationship with your children is going to be unique. So 
also know that there might come the time where you need a little support and you need some help or your child or teenager needs a little help and know that there are therapists out there who want to walk through these hard seasons with you, want to equip you and your children to do that. And so if you need that, and you want to talk about that, you find you can find me, you know, later, and I'll help point you in the right direction as to where you can seek services for play therapy or individual therapy for anybody. So thanks for letting me talk to you today. It's been fun. Yeah. Um, Lord, we just thank you for these parents in the room. God, I pray that as they walk through the doors that they wouldn't be thinking through all of the ways that they feel heavy or burdened. Um, Lord, I pray that you would encourage their spirits and their hearts and their minds, that you would equip them, that you would fill them with wisdom to be able to discern how best to respond, react, connect, and empathize with their children of all ages. Lord, our ultimate goal is that their children just rely on you So, Lord, I pray that you, as the most wonderful counselor, would come, that you would be with these kids as they play, and that they would come to know you, because we know that you are wisdom. We pray all of these things in your name. Amen.